The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. Live Weekend Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. It's been a busy week here at The Crude Life, so we're going to get right into our interviews this week. Of course, you can go to thecrudelife.com and stay up to date with our daily podcast, as well as our interviews isolated in their entirety. So if you just missed part of an interview here on the radio, well, you can go to The Crude Life and find it in its entirety. But right now, I want you to sit back and enjoy yourself. Maybe you're driving if you're one of the essential people out there traveling. Good for you folks. Oil and gas, by the way, is considered one of the essential businesses, one of the essential industries out there because quite honestly, we need to keep our lights on. We need to keep things transporting. We need to keep ventilators going. We need to keep masks produced. There's a lot of different things that the petroleum industry is really going into as far as healing and helping this COVID-19 shutdown and coronavirus fight. All right, folks, Lance Medlin, Chief Operating Officer, Meridian Energy Group, talks about their agreement they have with Pinkerton. Of course, we'll get an update on the Davis Refinery as well. Dustin Goverlow, founder of Policy Matters, as well as the North Dakota Watchdog Network. We're going to talk about the recent Whiting Petroleum bankruptcy, what kind of ripple that will have into the state of North Dakota. All right, that plus much more this week on the Week in Review here on The Crude Life. All right, let's get right to Lance Medlin, Chief Operating Officer, Meridian Energy Group. This is Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us. Meridian Energy Group, of course, spearheading the Davis Refinery up in Belfield, North Dakota. And also, is it the Walton Finery down uh, just north of Kermit, Texas? Um, I believe, is, is it the Walton Finery? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Walton Station Refinery Station. in uh, Winkler County, just, uh, just outside of Kermit, Texas. Winkler County. Okay, that's it. I knew the word Winkler was in there, and Walton was in there, and Kermit was in there, and Sometimes I get them mixed yeah, up, but got three out of four. Hey, not too bad. All right, so uh, let, let's let's start off a little bit by this recent headline I got, and I'll just read the headline: Meridian Energy Group announces agreement with Pinkerton as security and risk management provider for the Davis Refinery. So I'm familiar with that name, Pinkerton, but honestly, I'm not familiar with you know kind of kind of what they do. I'm more familiar with the old. Uh, Pinkerton security, that type of thing from the old movies I used to watch. But uh, what, what, what is Pinkerton, and why are they such a significant partner, if you don't mind? Well, it's the same Pinkerton. So, uh, oh, you're kidding me. You it know, is? No, it, it's the same group. And okay. as far as I know, there's only one. That, you know, it's, it's probably the name's probably used in more businesses than, than just theirs. But Alan Pinkerton founded Pinkerton National Security Agency at uh, in 1850, so they've been uh, the same company for 170 years. Uh, so the the company you would see, you know, protecting the trains from robber barons, from uh, you know the the same company that tracked down Jesse James. Um, it's the same company that protected Abraham Lincoln from the first assassination attempt, and they actually were the they actually were the hired guards for the Underground Railroad. Uh, you know, uh, Aber- Aberystwyth 
service during uh, during the Civil War. So uh, Pinkerton's been around for a long time. I just remember Al Swearingen in uh, the HBO series Deadwood. He was always complaining about the Pinkertons coming to get him, and he was not happy about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the same group. Yeah, they, they've definitely had kind of a Hollywood, almost type history uh, so, here in America. They were founded uh, here in America, of course, in 1850. So let's transition that to modern day a little bit. Uh, what are they going to be doing for you guys then? So Pinkerton provides uh, both the hard risk management and the soft risk management. What I mean by that is there'll be uniformed guards at the gate signing in visitors. Uh, and then there's the kind of, uh, you know, dark web uh, electronic cyber risk management as well that uh, Pinkerton has globally. So, you know, a massive company with an international footprint, they're able to monitor and kind of give us guidance, uh, give local law enforcement guidance uh, prior to any event happening in addition to actually being on site, helping with security. Well, this has got to be quite a, a significant achievement for you guys uh, for a number of reasons. Obviously, there's the there's the security side of things, but there, there's got to be a, a pretty good PR move here just for the simple fact that I was familiar with them, like you mentioned, from the railroad days and HBO's series Dead on, uh, I mean, Deadwood that it, it catches your attention, and it also, then you look at it, and as you're mentioning, they are getting into the digital securities, huh? Well, yeah, so Pinkerton has a program called Silver Eye, um, and it's something that, you know, as a, as our security partner, we have access to. It's also something that we, uh, you know, we, wanna, we want the local counties to leverage also, so us bringing in that additional security profile into Stark and Billings County, into the local cities, uh, it's not something that we have sole privilege on. We offer that out to uh, local law enforcement as well. You mentioned, you know, bring in. What do you mean bring in? Like relocate? Like would people from Pinkerton actually relocate to Belfield with your team? Well, to some degree, yes. But uh, it, it's a good question. And, and I like to compare that question to kind of the EPC. So when McDermott was awarded the contract to design and build the Davis Refinery, um, you know, what it does for the local job market is uh, it's not every day that a multi-billion dollar international firm comes into Belfield, North Dakota or into that, into that region. So they'll bring some level of management with them, but it's, you know, it's kind of where enterprise strategy meets local implementation. Um, it's not commercially feasible uh, to bring in an entire expatriate force into the region. So not on the design side or the construction side or the security side. This is going to be another example, similar to the government, where Pinkerton is a multi-billion-dollar international firm, bringing in uh, that enterprise management uh, team into Belfield, and they're going to be doing a lot of local hiring. Uh, in addition to that, not only for Davis. So, if you're a resident of North Dakota, this is another. It's another multi-billion-dollar, and I keep saying that phrase just to try and scale how large these firms are. Another firm coming into that region providing hiring opportunities may be local and they might provide an opportunity elsewhere. So if, uh, if you were looking for a larger job market, this would be a good source for that. So they're actually looking at probably hiring some people as well in the local marketplace. So that's, that's pretty incredible. So they're going to do security there at the Davis refinery and then have a little bit of a local impact, huh? Yeah. So the, the hiring process, or I guess the selection process, kind of went both ways with Pinkerton. 
And uh, in some degrees, it's that way with every major contract that Meridian issues. And in some cases, it's more of just Meridian issuing a contract or awarding a contract for a certain, a certain scope. With Pinkerton, the, the due diligence was two-sided where we were interviewing them, but they were also interviewing us. Uh, Pinkerton's uh, managing directors, uh, security agents came into Belfield, Dickinson, Stark County, Billings County, met with the uh, county sheriffs, met with local police officers, met with first responders. Uh, they wanted to know what the what the resources were, what was needed, how they could help. Uh, did, was there an infrastructure to even use the resources? If they brought in a lot of cybersecurity, did Billings County or Stark County have the resources to digest those those extra that extra input? Uh, so it really went both ways, and the indecision from Pinkerton is that they wanted to partner with us on this, and our indecision was that we felt they were the best to partner uh, with the community and with Meridian as well. Mr. Lance Medlin, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Lance Medlin, Chief Operating Officer, Meridian Energy Group. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Crude Life Week in Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Lance Medlin, Chief Operating Officer with Meridian Energy Group. If they brought in a lot of cybersecurity, did Billings County or Stark County have the resources to digest those, those extra, that extra input? Uh, so it really went both ways. And the indecision from Pinkerton is that they wanted to partner with us on this. And our indecision was that we felt they were best to partner uh, with the community and with Meridian as well. What's next for you, for this relationship and also for Meridian? Uh, how do you guys see this this moving forward now? Because it's a the handshakes are done and now it's it's put into practice, isn't it? Yeah, we're moving a lot. We're moving fast now. So we've we've had recent milestones, you know, commercially that we've met that are expediting the process. Uh, you'll see Pinkerton, you'll see McDermott, you'll see a lot of large companies starting to set up shop actual window shops in Belfield, in Dickinson, uh, you know, with the now hiring type signs out there, they're pulling CVs and resumes, they're starting to interview folks. Uh, that process will be visible, uh, you know, in the next few weeks and months. That's good news. I know, obviously, with the with the COVID-19 shutdown and the coronavirus, there's there's more uncertainty now in the marketplace than before. And with the oil and gas industry, with the recent Russia Saudi Arabia things happening. It's good to see you guys are still moving ahead. Um, you know, understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, the, 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 the planet's still going to need you know, you know, oil and gas products to either drive their cars or get vaccines to certain areas. So the, the, the refineries are just going to keep 
getting cleaner and they're going to be needed more and more. So I guess very long winded way to say that um, I'm, I'm glad you guys are moving ahead um, while everyone else is kind of retracting. Uh, I don't know if you've got any comments you want to say on that, or if there's anything that we left out of this interview, but I just want to mention that, that I think that's a positive that, you know, you guys are still moving ahead. Like, Hey, this is, this is still just a little blip. <laughs> You know, uh, I recently wrote an article, and I think it'll be published in the next week or two, about the uh, the stability of the downstream market. So North Dakota is, you know, especially subjected to the ups and downs of the upstream market, where exploration and production are kind of based on an international supply and demand. So when you've got companies, or you've got com- countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia, uh, organizations like OPEC Plus, uh, that, you know, initiate these price wars, um, you know, all of the Bakken developments, and specifically North Dakota, are immediately impacted by that international crisis of crude price, where if you look historically from, say, 2000 to 2020, at the hiring and firing spree of the downstream industry, it's almost exactly constant. There's no ups and downs. It's a very constant market. Uh, downstream refining specifically is, is more impacted by local and regional demand, so you know, what's the local demand for diesel? What's the regional demand for diesel? That's what drives us. And those demands rarely fluctuate with any great spike up or down. Uh, it's pretty consistent. So, uh, you know, while while the upstream market is somewhat volatile and the residents of North Dakota are the first to experience that, uh, what, they, what we want them to experience is how the stability in the downstream market uh, provides a constant uh, job source for them. So we're bringing that to North Dakota. Uh, Pinkerton is obviously uh, has been selected as, as, as our security agent. We're very happy to bring that resource as well. Uh, and soon, uh, you know, very soon we'll be in production and, and North Dakota will have another avenue for job creation outside of the volatile, the volatile upstream market. And that was Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, Dustin Goverlow, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. Well, Gandhi says an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And I was two years old when John Lennon died. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Dustin Goverlow, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network. Welcome back. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Podcast and Network. Of course, we have Dustin Goverlow joining us with the Watchdog Network. How are you doing today? Oh, pretty good, Jason. Thank you for joining us here. And what's going on in your neck of the woods with the COVID-19 shutdown? I mean, you're kind of a home office guy to begin with. So transition, I imagine, was somewhat easy. but Yeah, I mean, here in Bismarck, we've had uh, basically the restaurants have converted to delivery and takeout only like everywhere else in the country. And then uh, beyond that, uh, you know, stores are still open and have been fairly busy whenever I've been out and about. And 
for the most part, uh, you know, traffic is, is down, but not significantly at certain times of day. You'd think that, uh, I, I think that what happens is that a lot of people get tired of sitting at home and they got to go out and drive around a little bit and bring up some gas. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, being one of the border states, uh, the governor, of course, he doesn't want people out there traveling. He mentioned uh, the Dakotas and you've got Minnesota that's shut down. And so it's it's kind of kind of interesting you being in the center, you know, being away from some of the uh, more border towns and everything where, you know, you've got a little bit less activity. I know in, um, on the east side in Fargo, man, it's like a ghost town in that town. Yeah, it's definitely not a ghost town here. I mean, I think every guy on motorcycles has been out in the last 48 hours because the streets are finally dry. And uh, you've got a lot of people just, just out and about. And, you know, they don't have anything to do. They don't, they're not going to work. You know, they may have been left to uh, stay at home, but they're uh, doing whatever they can to fill the time and get out in the sun. I think, you know, it's kind of tough to keep North Dakotans in houses during the spring you know after a long winter so you know that's kind of a a tough challenge to convince people that they should stay inside oil and gas is one of the necessity essential businesses when it comes to the covid 19 shutdown and the coronavirus in terms of no matter what state you're in it seems like the governor has pretty much deemed that essential uh, in in the Bakken, it's it's been a little different, you know, with prices the way they have and the demand side of things as well. And then all of a sudden, uh, it's a little different in the state of North Dakota because, boy, I want to check. I think one, we had a guest on, Brent Bogar from Jade Stone Consulting, and I think he had somewhere like 55% of the state's budget. At least that's the numbers I've been spouting on the program, so... Um, are you still kind of tracking what's going on there, you know, being the Watchdog Network? You are. I know that you're a lot more active when it comes to kind of a legislative and political season. But uh, it, how, how are my numbers there on that 55 percent? And do you kind of know what I'm talking about when I'm when I'm referring to the state of North Dakota's budget and the revenues tied to those uh, oil and gas taxes? Yeah, 55 would definitely be on the high side, but it's not too extremely high. Uh, you've got the money that that uh, has come in over the years, and uh, the oil tax revenue itself is uh, is one piece of it. And I believe the general fund pulls, or general fund equivalent spending pulls about a billion and a half directly from oil money. And then you've got, I believe, 30% of the sales tax is, is attributed to oil activity and and other activities that are indirectly linked to oil and then you've got the entire you know all the other auxiliary revenues that are created by those people being here which also includes sales tax but includes uh you know income tax and, and other taxes at the local level and so uh it's definitely a, a huge piece of the puzzle and what we are seeing with both the price declines and the production declines already kicking in, and within the last week, uh, Lynn Helms uh, announced that uh, something like 140,000 barrels. Mr. Dustin Goverlow, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dustin Goverlow, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. 
The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Speece on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Speece. to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Dustin Goverlow, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network. Uh, announced that uh, something like 140,000 barrels of oil in production were, were reduced because wells were being shut in, and something like another 200,000 barrels would, would also be reduced in the next couple months as a function of the fact that prices are coming down. And so you know, between the price that's being taxed and the amount of oil that is being produced, uh, the state's oil tax revenue is going to drastically decline. And I think that, uh, you know, if everything holds up the way that it is, we'll probably be below a million barrels a day by midsummer. Uh, and that is going to have a severe impact on on the situation for North Dakota. And, and that's why I've been predicting that, uh, We'll probably have a special session mid-July sometime, uh, you know, long enough after the planting season is done, and and hopefully people can congregate in groups more than ten by then, but not too late that uh, it inter- interferes with harvest time. So, um, you know, you've you've got significant cuts that are coming down the road. I don't think anybody is acknowledging just how bad it's going to be. I've noticed in the last couple of days that there are finally some other media voices saying you know we should probably look at a special session and uh in in from what i've been able to tell about uh, doug burgum he's just trying to get past this medical situation first and and then get into the the economics of it but uh you know we've got a, a twofold issue not only do we have the virus to contend with but even if we, we didn't have that 
the oil prices have collapsed so drastically that we would even require a special session uh, without the virus because uh, this oil collapse has been worse than the 2014-15 collapse. So, you know, we're, we're heading for some some drastic changes in how we operate. And hopefully with this being the second time that oil has collapsed in the last five years, uh, our lawmakers will finally realize that it's not a good idea to uh, put oil even into the mix at all. I mean, in my, in my uh, analysis, I think that our budget going forward should not even calculate oil into the ongoing budget. It should only be basically the gravy on top that, you know, if we have it, we're going to use it for X, Y, and Z, but we're not going to count on it being there to run our government. How about when it comes to Whitey and Petroleum's recent announcement of the bankruptcy in the as a chapter 11, I think. I, I'm not really quite sure what kind of impact that has with um, the oil and gas taxes, I guess. But I know that some people are asking the question if one thing has anything to do with the other. Well, you know, I think that the taxes are not necessarily a, a downward driver for the companies. At this point, the, the price is so low that the tax is irrelevant. Um, it's just a marginal issue at this point. But... Um, as far as what, what Whiting's bankruptcy, and, and there's probably going to be more bankruptcies coming down the road for sure. Um, what that's going to do is determine whether they're going to continue to produce or not. And, uh, you know, once they go into bankruptcy, there, there's, I don't know how it works, but there might be a situation where the, the court insists that they keep producing, uh, as a means to, to keep cash flowing. So, uh, that might actually be a detriment to the overall oil uh, production numbers in the world. I, I saw earlier today that uh, ExxonMobil announced that they're going to cut their own production by 30% in the next year and that uh, they expect the industry to cut significantly as well. So that will, fi- that will end up uh, you know, in one to two year window stabilizing things because there won't be as much supply going into tanks, but there's also not as much demand right now to burn it up. So uh, the overall picture on, on the industry is, uh, is midterm probably not that great yet. You know, the, the most optimistic numbers that I've seen is that maybe three to five years out, we've finally level off and, and are past this point. But you know, the, the, the bigger picture for public policy is that our elected officials need to realize that that money is not guaranteed that the industry and the, the market is so topsy-turvy that using that as a, a long-term sustainable revenue source is just not a reasonable or prudent approach anymore. I guess when I take a look at this, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the projections that states do when it comes to taxes and funding. And then I think about the reality of not only oil prices, but in this instance, you had the Saudi Arabia, Russia, OPEC thing, and then come on the other side with the coronavirus shock. So it was really a one-two punch. And then I think about all the school incentives that are involved with with a lot of these different taxes, whether it be from the county level, from a sales tax, or whether it be from a state level. Um, is there any, any talk at all around Bismarck that you're hearing about? I've got 
requests out to the different organizations and and you know i've had a request into bergham's office now for several months since probably december to talk about this because i i don't know i i think it's an issue i mean it seemed like it was a few years ago when they were paying all those taxes now it would seem like if they're not going to pay the taxes it would be a bigger issue if you know what i mean i mean a couple of years ago they were, after the study was done man it seems like they were telling everybody how much taxes oil and gas were but now it, it's like you can't hardly find anybody so i i just didn't know i appreciate you coming on because i know you follow this stuff so um just kind of curious about that whole thing and you think special session might be coming in july though huh that would be my guess i mean it could be different it could be late june it could be uh early august but it's going to be in that range sometime during the summer um because you know when when you've got massive reductions in revenue the sooner that you start taking spending off the table the less painful it is going to be on a month by month basis we've got a full year left of the biennium you know our budget cycle is is july 1st to july 1st two years later so our biennium ends july 1 or our, our the fiscal year ends july 1 so we will have a full year left in the biennium and and being able to divide those budget cuts over 12 months is going to be a lot less painful than dividing those budget cuts over eight or six months. And, uh, you know, even though you've got the, the regular session coming up in January, you want to hit this stuff sooner rather than later. And the governor has a, the ability to allocate certain percentages, but uh, I think that at this point uh, it should be more of a rebudgeting than an allocation situation that that the legislature should come back and look at their own numbers and and determine where they're really at and and whether that is where they want to be and you know that way it does two things you've got it's no longer just up to the governor and that theoretically will make fewer people upset and secondly the legislature can take ownership of their overspending over the years and get things in line uh and and basically the more that they cut during this next uh, you know during the special session the less that they have to cut in january as well for the next biennium which is going to be significantly lower i would guess 25 to 30 percent lower next biennium than this biennium and uh, you've got to you've got to get in there early to take care of that or else you are really just setting yourself up for for trouble down the road how about when it comes to the east-west side of things? I know that's been an issue in the past to the tune to where they several times tried to pass, and I think this last time they passed something called the Prairie Dog. Yes. Operation Prairie Dog, and they, like I said, they've tried before of a Western stimulus and some some other things. Is is that get infected, impacted at all, affected at all during this whole thing? I know that they were trying to make sure that the Western side of the states were not forgotten, and uh, given the new state of events and, and the population disparity, I just uh, have to raise that question. You know, is that is that talked about at all? And, and, you know, have you thought of that, I guess? Well, you know, the Prairie Dog Bill was designed to put money into cities that had not gotten surge money and to spread it out from the West and make it more even statewide. My guess is that the oil prices and production levels are going to make the overall 
uh, allocation and, and, and appropriation from the uh, the Prairie Dog Bill pretty much uh, minimal, if anything at all, because of the way that that was set up. It was kind of, it was fairly convoluted the way that that formula worked out. Mr. Dustin Goverlow, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. We come back. We'll continue the conversation with Dustin Goverlow, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. It's sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dustin Goverlow, founder, president of Policy Matters and the North Dakota Watchdog Network. Because of the way that that was set up, it was kind. Of, it was fairly convoluted the way that that formula worked out. And you know, one of the things that they didn't want to do was spend money before they had it in the bank. So uh, I think that you're going to see less impact from that than people thought. It probably will kick some cash in for construction this time around. You know, at, at one of the press conferences last week, we heard Burgum actually use the B word, which is bonding, uh, which is the state going in debt to generate some cash to do some infrastructure work. And, you know, he, he was saying it because we've, we've got ultra low interest rates. You know, the state could probably take out some bonded debt at under 2%. And, you know, maybe even do what a lot of people, including myself, have wanted, which is utilize the bank in North Dakota as an infrastructure bank more than it has been. Uh, we've got it. it. It has certain things that it could do. Uh, the, the legislature could allocate certain money, say the, the earnings from the legacy fund, to paying down the debt that they, they bond out. And with uh, you know $100 million a year in uh, payments, they could bond out a billion dollars in in bonded debt and have uh, that to spend now and pay it off in under 11 years at 2% rate, rate, or maybe under 12 years. So you're at a situation where we should probably be looking at that, but you don't want to go into debt to prop up government. The only debt that you should be taking on is debt that is 
true infrastructure debt that's going to go into roads or bridges uh, that are going to last 50 to 80 years. And, uh, you know, then you also have to take into account that the federal government's going to come in with their own infrastructure bill. And uh, frankly, we might need the bond out just to, to have matching funds to, uh, to take advantage of those federal dollars as well. So there's a lot of pieces that are going to be moving that, that the legislature's not in, used to because, man, I, I don't know that we've taken out new debt in North Dakota since the early 90s. So that's going to be a new feature that, that uh, is uh, not uh, common in the last generation of lawmakers. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on to talk about some of this because it's showing once again that um, pretty much everything's being put on the table in terms of what is a solution. And it's kind of interesting, you know, I'm, I'm taking a look at the different states and, you know, with, with North Dakota just operating business as usual, um, it's, it's, uh, it's different. You know, it's almost like, once again, North Dakota's in that bubble again. During the during the Bakken boom and the rest of the country was going through like a little bit of a recession, North Dakota was doing really good. Them in Texas, yeah. Well, in, in North Dakota is always in a bubble. We're always counter cyclical to the rest of the country. Uh, you remember the the 08, 09, uh, Great Recession with the financial collapse nationwide and worldwide. North Dakota was immune from that for two reasons: one, the the boom was starting, but number two, our uh, subprime loan market was already socialized back in the late 80s during the farm crisis the bank in north dakota was put into a position of buying mortgages that were otherwise considered subprime and so we had already socialized that market so there was no problem with private banks collapsing due to giving out loans to people who shouldn't have them if there were any loans they were already owned by the bank in north dakota and that basically leveled things out and and prevented a bailout because we'd already done the bailout back in the 80s. So with that being said, uh, there's really a lot of different things that are on the table when it comes to the different solutions and different different ideas that are out there. And, and one thing that I do con- that does concern me, though, is, you know, as I mentioned, I, I brought up the prairie dog for, for a reason is that it's it's been a historical battle trying to get resources allocated to the western side of the state to the tune to where they actually had to create a bill for it. Um, the east is got a water project that they're not letting go of. And Minnesota doesn't, every day it seems like they're going to help less and less with the finances. And so it's either up to the feds or it's up to the state. And it just seems like with the universities on the eastern side of the state and now with energy the way it's at, boy, I'd hate to see the West get their back turned on once again. What are your thoughts on that water project on the eastern side of the state uh, causing any ruffles in this? Well, I, I do believe that uh, if we have a two, $2 trillion infrastructure bill, that it's going to be on the backs of of both Senator Hoven because of his seniority and Senator Kramer because of his connection with President Trump to include in there a significant amount of money for the Red River Diversion Project and maybe the whole thing. You know, if we're going to be spending multiple trillions of dollars on infrastructure, that project needs to be in there. And I would say that if that project is not in there, then 
that that's a major problem for the people of North Dakota because if we're going in debt nationally two trillion dollars and not getting at least something like that out of the deal, that uh, uh, we we got the short end of the stick nationally. As far as what the West is going to have to deal with going forward, if the state does not have the cash to buy down and reduce the cost to local government, those local governments are going to have to raise their mill levies, raise their sales tax, and and you know become high tax cities, which may work during boom times when everybody's flush with cash, but when people are leaving the state again because they don't know how long this next bust is going to last they're right back in the same position that they were in the 80s repeating history over and over and over and never learning from it to listen to the full-length interview with dustin Goverlow, founder president of policy matters and the north dakota watchdog network or to check out other exclusive interviews visit the crudelife.com that's the crudelife.com i'd like to thank mr dustin Goverlow for coming on the program as well as Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group. Appreciate that, as well as everybody who joined us at thecrudelife.com for our daily podcast and our exclusive interviews, as well as some content and video footage, as well as interviews from the delegation in North Dakota and other politicians across the United States. Send it into the Crude Life to make sure that the industry is up to date on what's going on, especially with the COVID-19, the CARES Act, etc etc so appreciate it folks check out the crudelife.com for more information and exclusive interviews from the staff here at the crude life week in review my name is jason spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry it's a way of life The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. 
and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 